Ladies and gentlemen, recording from Los Angeles, California. Welcome to another edition of the one and only podcast known to the world as Sean's Sports Stop, where Sean Tiplitsky gives his unique opinion on the biggest news stories in sports. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the one and only Sean Sports Stop podcast. That intro by Mr. Bruce Buffer never gets old. It really doesn't. That shit's legendary. Speaking of legendary, tomorrow night, John Jones versus Sidel Gunn, heavyweight UFC heavyweight fight. Should be fireworks. I keep going back and forth on who I think is going to win. Probably give the edge to John Jones just because he's an all-time great. Um, you know, hasn't fought in three years though, and it's his heavyweight debut. We know what Sidel Gunn is capable of at heavyweight, but again, it's John Jones, arguably the greatest MMA fighter of all time. So that is going to be fun. Uh, Bruce Buffer rem- reminded me of that. Uh, with that said, we got a lot to talk about. If you're not the biggest hockey fan, this might not be the episode for you. Although we will talk about the NFL, the NBA. Uh, you know, that shit's year-round. The news never stops, whether it's the season, the off-season, or whatever it is. Once again, this is episode number 409. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, and with all that said, let's get right into it, starting with some hockey. Um, as you guys know, I don't really talk about hockey that much on this show. But the trade deadline was absolutely wild. Uh, so I have to I have to talk about this, uh, kind of get it out of the way in the beginning, and then we can uh, talk about football, basketball, all that good stuff. Uh, hopefully there's some hockey fans listening. Uh, I hope you guys appreciate my analysis. Uh, so obviously the biggest trade of the deadline, Patrick Kane, Captain America, going from the Chicago Blackhawks to the New York Rangers. The Rangers at this point have a borderline super team. I mean, they already had Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad, Artemi Panarin, Igor Shesterkin, Adam Fox, that is a loaded team. And if that wasn't enough, uh, at before the deadline, they added Vladimir Tarasenko from the St. Louis Blues and here Patrick Kane from the Chicago Blackhawks. Two all-stars, two uh, you know, insane players on top of an, an already loaded team. Uh, I would say this is pretty analogous to uh, the Golden State Warriors signing KD, except this was done over trade. Uh, he took a three-team deal on Tuesday to make it happen for salary cap purposes. Chicago retained 50% of Kane's $10.5 million cap hit, while the Rangers split the remainder with the Arizona Coyotes. In addition to getting a three-time Stanley Cup champion, the Rangers also received minor league defenseman Cooper Zech. Chicago didn't get much of a return for Patrick Kane, I mean, you know, considering the caliber of player he is, but that's kind of the case where there's not that huge of a market because a lot of trades already went down before Kane got moved. And, you know, with Kane essentially begging the Blackhawks for a trade and on top of that, uh, only wanting to go to a, you know, small number of teams with it being the Leafs and Rangers. So the Blackhawks had virtually zero leverage in this whole situation. And, um, yeah, I'd give them a C for this trade. The Rangers, you know, made out like bandits. They get an A, obviously. Um, So the Blackhawks got a conditional 2023 second round pick and a 2025 fourth rounder along with minor league defenseman Andy Wilinski. Not exactly a huge return at all, um, and I'm not really sure what the Coyotes were doing in this trade. The Rangers' neighbor, the New Jersey Devils, they are going all in as well. They got Timo Meyer from the San Jose Sharks. Definitely an A for the Devils in this one. I'll give the Sharks a solid B-. minus. I mean, they're a rebuilding team, uh, but I don't know. I mean, Timo is so talented. In a nine-player swap on Sunday, the New Jersey Devils bolstered, bolstered their scoring punch by acquiring winger Timo Meyer from the San Jose Sharks. 
Joining Meyer was defenseman Scott Harrington, whom the Anaheim Ducks subsequently claimed off waivers. The Devils also received three prospects and a 2024 fifth round pick. The trade signaled that a roster rebuild is underway for the Sharks. They received depth forwards Fabian Zetterlund and Andreas Johnson and a couple prospects. So that's that. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes have been looking to trade Jacob Chitron for a couple years now. The Kings were heavily interested. I wish um, they got Chitron and they made a great offer, but ultimately the Coyotes liked the draft standing of the Ottawa Senators far more than that of the LA Kings. Um, so Chitron was the subject of trade rumors dating back to last season. He joins the Ottawa Senators for a conditional first rounder in 2023, a conditional second rounder in 2024, and a second round pick in 2026. Signed through 2024-25, Chitron should provide a welcome boost of puck moving skill to the Senators' defensive rotation. Definitely an A for the Senators on this one. I'll give the Coyotes a solid B. They could have got a better return for someone like Chitron, but not a terrible return. The Boston Bruins, the fastest team in NHL history to 100 points. They're making moves. Tyler Bertuzzi from the Detroit Red Wings. I'll give the Bruins a solid B-plus for this one. With Taylor Hall on long-term injury reserve, the Bruins needed a replacement on the left wing. They shipped a conditional 2024 first-round pick, which is top 10 protected, and a 2025 fourth-rounder to the Wings for Tyler Bertuzzi. The Wings also retained half of Bertuzzi's $4.8 million cap hit. The Wings opted to move the often-injured Bertuzzi rather than lose him this summer in free agency for nothing. The 28-year-old has been limited to only 14 points in 29 games this season. When healthy, however, he's an agitating top-six winger who tallied 30 goals and 62 points in 2021-22. Uh, let's see, what else do we got next? The Los Angeles Kings trading Jonathan Quick to the Columbus Blue Jackets. This one, as a Kings fan, really, I mean, when they first got announced, this was, if I remember correctly, uh, Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday night. Uh, I believe Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday night. Uh, and I was just so shocked. I mean, Jonathan Quick, for, for those of you that watch baseball, this would be like the Dodgers trading Kershaw, uh, let's say, two months before. I'm not going to say two months before retirement, but the Dodgers... Uh, trading Kershaw to the Reds for Nick Senzel and Kyle Farmer, something along those lines, you'd be you'd be shocked. Um, so I, along with a lot of Kings fans, were very emotional, but the dust settled, uh, more information came out, and I'm much less upset about it in a stunning early move on Wednesday. So yeah, this was Tuesday, Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning, the Los Angeles Kings traded longtime starting goaltender Jonathan Quick to the Columbus Blue Jackets in exchange for Vladislav Gavrikov, um, Jonas Corposalo, a defenseman and a goalie, two needs that the Kings needed badly. I mean, the Kings, um, the goaltending was absolutely abysmal with Jonathan Quick and Cal Peterson at first. Quick has been borderline unplayable, even though he's a team legend, essentially uh, willing the Kings to two Stanley Cups, especially in 2012, winning the Conn Smythe, which for those of you that don't know, is the finals MVP essentially in uh, in hockey. And as a goalie to do that, to do that is, uh, you know, it takes a lot. And so quick was that good. Uh, 16 years with one team with the Kings. Like this, this guy was a huge part of my childhood. And um, it was very tough at first. But again, more information came out. More stuff came out. At the end of the day, the Kings got better as a team after this trade. I'll give the Kings, even though I'm biased, a, a solid A- minus for this trade. And I'll give the Blue Jackets solid B. I mean, you know, they got a couple of draft picks, a 2023 first rounder and a 2024 third rounder. Essentially, for Gavrikov and Corpusalo, they had no interest in Quick, and Quick had no interest in them. Uh, so they then flipped Quick to the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Didn't take long for the Blue Jackets to find a taker for Jonathan Quick. 
Uh, they flipped the goalie on Thursday to the Vegas Golden Knights in exchange for a third string that minder Michael Hutchinson and a 2025 seventh round pick. The Golden Knights made this move since their regular tandem of Logan Thompson and Laurent Brassau are both sidelined with lower body injuries. Quick's play has definitely declined this season, and he's been statistically one of the worst goalies in the NHL. But the 37-year-old brings considerable experience uh, playoff-wise and just in general uh, between the pipes for Vegas. I can already see uh, JQ shutting us down in the playoffs, us being the Kings. I'll give the Golden Knights a B for this one and a, another B for the Blue Jackets. Um, yeah, uh, Max Domi to the Dallas Stars. I'll give the Stars a B+. Plus. Hold on, let me let me talk about Jonathan Quick a little more. Uh, this guy is a Kings legend. Um, again, absolute legend. Pains me to see him go, but the Kings had virtually no gold. I mean, Phoenix Copley... Um, you know, should not be the number one guy on a championship team. All due respect to Copley, but Corpus Allo is great. He has huge potential. Uh, he posted a 9-11 save percentage on a, um, you know, obviously tanking Blue Jackets team. A 9-11 save percentage is pretty impressive. And um, he holds the most, he holds the record for most saves in an NHL game with 85. I believe that was a playoff game that went multiple overtimes a few years ago. Uh, so I'm very excited for Corpus Allo. Gavrikov already played last night, um, Thursday night, and he was huge. He was absolutely huge against the Canadiens, uh, essentially doing everything that is expected of him that uh, Blue Jackets fans said he would be doing for the Kings. And with that said, uh, with some of the trade deadline stuff out of the way, let's uh, let's talk about some more hockey. We got some more hockey. David Pasternak is... An unbelievable, unbelievable player. He's made me some money. <laughs> the Boston Bruins signed forward David Pasternak to a huge eight-year extension worth an average annual value of $11.25 million. Boston made the announcement Thursday, locking up the best Bruin of this generation through the 2030-31 season. Pasta was originally scheduled to be slated to be a free agent at the end of this season. The Czech Republic native has spent his entire nine-year career in Boston making his debut just months after being taken with the number 25 overall pick in the 2014 draft. He was an instant impact player from his debut and ascended to a starring role by his third NHL season. He's a three-time All-Star now. Uh, the right winger has accumulated 584 points across 570 appearances in Boston. He led the NHL in goals during the 2019-20 season with a career high of 48 and is on pace to eclipse that total this season. The 26-year-old sits second in the NHL with 42 goals while adding 38 assists, and his 80 total points are tied for fourth, so he's definitely a superstar in the NHL. Uh, he's been the leader of a dominant Bruins team who are 47-8-5 heading into Thursday, and as of now, they are the overwhelming Stanley Cup favorite, uh, but they're not going to win the Cup. The Bruins currently have a 13-point lead over the Carolina Hurricanes for home ice advantage in the loaded Eastern Conference. Fuck the Bruins, you know, obligatory fuck the Bruins. Fuck Boston. Um, I hope a small earthquake hits Boston. Nah, nah, I don't. Well, maybe a little bit. Maybe I do just a little bit. Uh, but congrats to Pasta. You know, jokes aside, huge for the Bruins, huge for their fans. Um, you know, I can already, I can already, I'm not to jinx anything, but I can already see a Pasta statue outside TD Garden. He is that good, and he show, he's been showing it. He is showing it. He's shown it, and I'm sure he will continue to show it. Uh, with that said, let's transition to some NBA. The Lakers are... I mean, the Lakers are uh, the Lakers. Los Angeles Lakers forward LeBron James has a right foot tendon injury and will be reevaluated in three weeks, the team announced on Thursday. According to Chris Haynes of Bleacher Report, he will not need surgery. So at least 
you know, a little bit of a silver lining for LeBron, the Lakers, and obviously Laker fans, myself included. Uh, Brian Windhorst of ESPN reported LeBron would be out for more than three weeks with the injury despite the Lakers announcement. Hopefully not. LeBron has missed the last two games while recovering from the injury. The Lakers have gone one and one and sit at 30 and 33 on the season, putting them outside the playoff picture. LeBron was injured in a February 26th comeback win against the Dallas Mavericks, going down with a non-contact injury in the third quarter. He remained in the game and scored 11 of his 26 points in the fourth quarter, uh, which ended up being a, tw- a a huge, a 21 point, no, not 21 point, a huge comeback win for the Lakers, uh, their largest in 21 years. Quote, it's been better, he told reporters after the game, that's for sure, but I definitely wasn't going to go to the locker room and not finish the game out tonight. Just understood the importance of the game, and then with the momentum that we had, I felt like we could still win after being down, and he was right. LeBron is averaging 29.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, and 7 assists a game this season. Um, the Lakers said he'll be reevaluated in two weeks. Hopefully, that will be the case. Hopefully, we get LeBron back as soon as humanly possible. Every game is must-win at this point. Uh, Lakers, Timberwolves tonight. No LeBron or D'Angelo Russell for the Lakers, but no Carl Anthony Towns for the Timberwolves. So hopefully that will be a Laker W. Uh, the Lord knows we need it badly. With that said, let's uh, switch gears to some football, some uh, lighthearted stuff, depending on how you look at it, actually. Uh, the Super Bowl 57 rematch between the Philadelphia Eagles and Kansas City Chiefs is setting up to be appointment viewing during the 2023 NFL season. Chiefs wideout Juju Smith-Schuster already drew a response from Eagles star A.J. Brown when he joked about James Bradbury's holding penalty in the Super Bowl, and Brown sent more messages to Smith-Schuster after he featured in a TikTok mocking Brown and other Eagles players. In a pair of since-deleted posts, Brown issued multiple threats to his fellow receiver, saying, quote, don't let that ring get you beat the fuck up, the two-time Pro Bowler said in one of the messages. Um, And, you know, he texted Juju directly, so this wasn't a clout kind of thing. Juju is set to be a free agent after having signed a one-year deal with Kansas City and could be on a different team by the time the Chiefs host the Eagles at Arrowhead Stadium. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. It's the name of the game. People talk shit. People people clown each other, especially nowadays in the internet age, you know, with Twitter, with Instagram, with, with all this shit, TikTok, all of this. Um, you know, people are not afraid of just making fun of each other, talking shit, saying all kinds of crazy shit. Uh, with essentially zero fear of repercussions. And um, I think overall, that's that's a huge negative aspect of social media because you have people saying stuff that they would never say to someone in person. Um, but anyway, I don't mean to go on a tangent here and uh, get off topic. We got sports to talk about. We got more NBA to talk about. And let's do it. The Milwaukee Bucks uh, have emerged as front runners to sign former Chicago Bulls guard Goran Dragic, who will meet with the franchise on Friday per Woj of ESPN. An agreement b- between Dragic and the Bucks could be reached as soon as Friday, Woj added. Dragic signed a one-year deal with the Bulls in August, joining Andre Drummond as the only free agent signings for the franchise over the summer. That's pretty sad. The, six, the 36-year-old appeared in 51 games of, off the bench for the Bulls this season, averaging 6.5 points, 1.5 rebounds, and 3 assists, while shooting 42 0.5% from the floor and 35% from deep. However, Dragic has not played since a February 13th loss to the Orlando Magic due to a knee injury. His minutes in Chicago had also been dwindling at only 15.4 a, a game, and he was forced to take on a lesser role following the signing of Patrick Beverly, who ended up starting. Dragic joining the Bucks would give the team far more depth behind Drew Holiday and Javon Carter at the point. He'd also make Milwaukee an even stronger contender in the Eastern Conference. The Bucks have won their last 16 games. What a streak. 
and have overtaken the Boston Celtics for the best record in the league at 45 and 17. However, as the season progresses, they'll definitely need that extra depth for a deep run in the playoffs. Uh, at this point in his career, Dragic is searching for an NBA title, and the Bucks would certainly allow him the opportunity uh, opportunity to accomplish that goal more than the Bulls, who are who are currently 11th in the East with a 29 and 34 record. Prior to playing for the Bulls, Dragic suited up for the Miami Heat, Phoenix Suns, Houston Rockets, Brooklyn Nets, and Toronto Raptors over his career. Some of his best seasons came with the Heat from 2015 to 2021, where he averaged 16 points, three and a half rebounds, and over five assists a game, while shooting 46% from the floor and 36.5% from three. Uh, so that would be a great move for the Bucks if they make that hot happen. Uh, speaking of moves, the New York Giants are in limbo. I mean, they got Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley to figure out. The New York Giants declined Daniel Jones' fifth-year option for the 2023 season a year ago, but the sides are reportedly working toward a new deal this offseason, and that could have major implications for running back Saquon Barkley. Quote, if they get a deal done, Barkley will get franchise tagged, the NFL Network said at the NFL Scouting Combine on Thursday. If the Giants either can't reserve the tag for Saquon or don't agree to a long-term contract with him, he'll be one of the top players on the open market and certainly the head of the class at the running back position. Saquon is 26 years old. He's had a much-needed bounce-back season in 2022, rushing for over 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns while adding uh, 57 catches for 338 yards in 16 games. Uh, he was the center of the Giants' offense and a huge reason that the team was able to end their five-year playoff drought. Injuries severely limited Barkley in previous seasons as he only played two games in 2020 and his return in 2021 uh, was a major disappointment. Uh, but he had hit the ground running, rushing for over a thousand yards in each of his first two seasons. And now he was able to bounce back. However, Daniel Jones wants over $45 million a season. Uh, so I don't know. The Giants have some decisions to make. Do they give Daniel Jones that money? Do they go for someone like Derek Carr? Do they give the tag to Saquon Barkley? Do they sign him long-term? A lot of decisions for the Giants front office to make. Lucky for them, Dave Gettleman is no longer at the helm. So, you know, nothing, you know, outlandishly stupid will be done. Uh, but with that said, let's transition to some more NBA. Golden State Warriors guard Stephen Curry plans to make his return from a lower left leg injury Sunday against the Los Angeles Lakers, of course. Uh, according to Chris Haynes of Bleacher Report, Curry's 34 years old. He's been out for nearly a month since his injury on February the 4th in a home game against, against the Dallas Mavericks. What is it about the Mavs? Both Curry and LeBron injured against the Mavs. He suffered a lower leg contusion along with partial tears to his superior uh, tibiofibular ligaments and enterocellus membrane. <laughs> yeah. The Warriors have gone 5-4 and four without Steph and are currently on a three-game winning streak. Adding their two-time MVP will only help as they look to continue to climb the standings in a loaded Western Conference. At the time of his injury, Steph was in the midst of yet another All-Star and All-NBA season. He's averaging 29.5 points, 6.5 assists, and over 6 rebounds a game to go along with 49.5% shooting from the floor and 43% shooting from three-point range. Uh, you know, the greatest shooter of all time. Obviously, um, the Warriors need him back. Um, I don't know if... I don't think the Warriors will repeat... Uh, I don't really think they'll have much of a deep playoff run this year either, uh, but we will see. You know, adding Steph Curry back into the mix obviously changes things. And with that, let's transition back to some football, shall we? The Las Vegas Raiders intend to place the franchise tag on star running back Josh Jacobs if the two sides are unable to agree to terms on a long-term extension by Tuesday's deadline per NFL Network. The value of running back on the franchise tag in 2023 is set at $10 million. Early last month, Jacobs was asked if he would have an issue playing on the franchise tag, and he responded, quote, hero turned villain, 
that seemingly indicated he wouldn't be thrilled about doing so. Jacobs also said at that time that he wanted to stay with the Raiders, but that it had to make sense for him to do so, adding that he wasn't going to let the franchise, quote, disrespect him with a low offer. The Raiders have been vocal about wanting to keep Jacobs in Las Vegas for the long term, though actions speak much louder than words. Quote, you know what we said at the end of the year is the same as it is now. Love for JJ to continue being a Raider head coach, Josh McDaniel said. I know Dave Ziegler, the GM, and his representative have been in contact. They're working through that process together, and that's the hope and the end. The goal is that that he's here for a while. We'll see how all that plays out again. Plays out, but again, Dave and Josh's representatives have been in contact, and that's the goal. That's what we're working toward. Jacobs was selected by the Raiders in the first round of the 2019 draft out of the University of Alabama, and he has become a staple in the team's offense. During the 2022 season, he rushed for a league-leading 1,653 yards and 12 touchdowns in 17 games, in addition to catching 53 passes for 400 yards en route to a Pro Bowl selection and first-team All-Pro honors. If the Raiders place the tag on Jacobs, it's possible he'll opt to hold out, as $10 million is definitely below his value. Spotrack has his market value estimated to be $12.8 million annually, listing Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, and Joe Mixon as comparables. And to be honest with you, though, I would take Joe, J- J- excuse me, Josh Jacobs over all of those guys, uh, and it's not very close. So I think the Raiders need to, you know, be smart because look, the Raiders don't have Derek Carr to worry about, who we'll talk about in a second. They're not in a situation like the Giants are, uh, where you got Daniel Jones and Saquon both in free agency. So Derek Carr's gone. You got to bring Josh Jacobs back. You have to do that, uh, no matter the circumstance, in my opinion. Speaking of Derek Carr, let's talk about him. Derek Carr remains highly sought after highly sought after ahead of the opening of NFL free agency on March 15th, which at the time of this recording is uh, 12 days away. But the New York Jets could be the most likely landing spot, according to The Athletic. Quote, if Aaron Rodgers does wind, wind up back in Green Bay, the Jets should be viewed as the favorite to land Carr. His meeting in New Jersey recently with Robert Saleh and others went well, and the Jets view Carr as a quarterback who can get them over the hump and contend in the AFC, and I think the Jets are absolutely spot on. I mean, they were a pretty decent team, even with a terrible situation at the quarterback position with Zach Wilson and Mike White, and I guess Joe Flacco. I mean, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Uh, Derek Carr is a huge improvement over all those guys. I think Derek Carr is vastly overhated every single year. Uh, that he's had with the Raiders. The Raiders were 30th or worse um, on defense out of 32 teams. So I think, honestly, even if Rodgers is available, I think the Jets should go for uh, Carr over Rodgers, but that's just me at this moment. Rosenblatt of The Athletic noted the Jets are willing to wait on Rodgers. I I mean, I wouldn't do that. Who promised this week on the Aubrey Marcus podcast to make a decision, quote, soon enough. But there is reportedly an expectation the veteran quarterback will either retire or return to the Green Bay Packers. Rodgers is certainly more proven than Carr with four career MVP awards, including two in the last three years. But Carr showed he can be a reliable starter across his nine years with the Las Vegas Raiders. Again, I think Rodgers is over the hill, so to speak, and he's not that guy anymore. Not the MVP that he used to be, albeit recently. Uh, The New Orleans Saints have shown heavy interest in the free agent with the team ready to sign the quarterback as of Thursday per ESPN. So that's the thing. If I'm the Jets, like, you know, the Saints are interested. You know, they need a quarterback. You can't you can't wait for Rodgers, you know, whiff on car him going to the Saints, let's say. And then you don't have Rodgers either. And you're you're fucking stuck. Like, you can't do that. You just can't. Um, So, yeah, speaking of quarterbacks, (laughs) the Ravens are in a bit of a mess as well. The Baltimore Ravens remain, quote, hopeful on on signing quarterback 
uh, Lamar Jackson to a long-term extension before the franchise tag deadline on Tuesday per CBS Sports. However, a deal between the two sides is still, quote, not close, according to Justina Anderson. Quote, I'm told that both sides are still not close to getting a deal done. And also, my league sources have the impression that, at least as of right now, the Ravens have their best offer on the table. However, I was just told even before coming on this stage, the context to that is that it is still pending, getting more feedback from Lamar's side on their latest proposal. In addition to that, the other information that I have is that they've heard from several teams that have tapped in, obviously expressing preliminary interest on gathering more information with the potential trade, and that is to be expected as there are multiple teams that have quarterback questions out there. Jackson is believed to be searching for a fully guaranteed contract similar to a five-year $230 million contract that Deshaun Watson got from the Cleveland Browns last season. Um, ESPN reported on March 1st that Baltimore has, quote, been reluctant to offer that because they believe Watson's deal is more of an outlier than a precedent. And while that is true, uh, I mean, Deshaun Watson, first of all, is a piece of shit. Second of all, uh, at this at this moment, is nowhere near the quarterback Lamar Jackson is. So even though, you know, you could concede that Deshaun Watson's deal is an outlier in more ways than one. <laughs> you, you know, you give that to Lamar Jackson. I mean, you have to. You have you have such a talented player, even though team-wise it's not exactly a smart deal. You have you don't really have a choice. In my like, what's your alternative if you're Baltimore here at, at this stage? Tyler Huntley. I mean, Derek Carr probably doesn't want you, right? Um, however, ESPN Stephen A. Smith reported last month on First Take that he had been connected with Jackson's camp, which assured him that the veteran was not seeking a fully guaranteed deal. Take that with a grain of salt. Uh, if Jackson and the Ravens can't come to terms on an agreement, Baltimore is expected to place the franchise tag on the 2019 MVP. However, Adam Schefter reported on SportsCenter on Friday that the Ravens were still debating on whether to use the exclusive or non-exclusive tag. So definitely some decisions to make for the Raiders. Uh, the exclusive tag, which is projected to be worth $45.25 million, prevents other teams from negotiating with Jackson. The non-exclusive tag worth $32.5 million allows Jackson to negotiate with, with other teams, though the Ravens would have the opportunity to match any offer he might receive. Um, so definitely a tough situation for the Ravens to be in, no doubt. But again, I don't really think, I don't really think there's anything they could do. Uh, I mean, I really don't. Um, they, I think if you're the, Ra the Ravens, you have to go for Lamar Jackson. Uh, with that said... Uh, let's talk about the Jake Paul Tommy Fury fight because it's been it's been almost a month since my last podcast episode and that's inexcusable guys I mean this is supposed to be a daily show and it's obviously not been um, I've um, I've been busy with college going to the gym you know as much as possible almost every day just you know really grinding really putting that work in trying to be the best version of myself and I hope you guys are doing the same um, so yeah really busy with the college and, and stuff like that gym like I said so I will get back on a more consistent uh, schedule. I mean, I love doing this shit. I love you guys. I love you guys that listen. It, uh, it really means the world to me. Um, and yeah, with that said, let's talk about the Jake Paul Tommy Fury fight. Um, so I, you know, I can't claim that. I mean, I will, but you know, it, it might sound like I'm making this up because you know I haven't said it on record on the podcast. But you know, if you don't believe me, you know, talk to a couple of guys I know. I was saying the whole way that Tommy Fury would beat Jake Paul. Um, even though Tommy Fury is not that great of a boxer himself, professional boxer himself, you know, he's been doing this since he was 10 years old. He comes from a fighting family, you know, a gypsy, a traveling family in the Furies. Uh, he has that pedigree. He has more experience than Jake Paul. You know, Jake Paul at 16 years old, 
Tommy Fury at 16 years old was winning amateur boxing fights. Jake Paul at 16 years old was shaking his ass in front of a camera, uh, making himself look like a clown, um, you know, <laughs> acting on Disney Channel. So it's just levels to it. You know, Jake Paul has dedicated his life to boxing over the last three to four years. But that's just not enough um, experience and kind of basic understanding of the sport um, to to beat someone like Tommy Fury. And, and, you know, I'll give Jake Paul credit. He held his own. You know, he didn't get knocked out. He lost almost every round, in my opinion. I would say, you know, 6-2 or 7-1 Tommy. Obviously, Jake Paul uh, got the knockdown in the last round. It was a flash knockdown. You know, didn't hurt Tommy. He got right back up and arguably won the rest of that round. Uh, but, you know, credit to Jake Paul. He showed he has heart, but he also showed he lacks, you know, very basic fundamentals. He lacks a lot of things. You know, he uh, kneels forward, <laughs> reaches forward, like pl- almost falls forward when throwing a jab when you don't need to do that. He makes all kinds of very basic mistakes. I mean, I say this as someone that goes to the boxing gym five times a week. And I've been boxing for almost a decade. So at the very least, I have more experience and knowledge on the sport than Jake Paul presently. Um, so, you know, all the way I knew Tommy Fury was going to win and he, he also fought very cautiously. It was very clear that Tommy Fury was cautious. Uh, he was respect, he respected Jake Paul, Paul's power and Tommy great gave uh, Jake credit after the fight. I mean, uh, Jake Paul is absolutely a professional boxer. He showed that, you know, you can never say that he hasn't fought a boxer. You know, he did and he didn't get knocked out. He went to distance, won a couple rounds. He's still very raw. Um, you know, unlike most people, I'm actually excited for, for the rematch. I think Tommy will uh, get the knockout this time because there will be much less pressure on him with all the talk of, oh, you know, stay in Saudi Arabia if you lose, like you lose the Fury last name. That's a shitload of pressure. And then when the with the fight being um, canceled and rescheduled twice, you know, anywhere Tommy would go, like, you're scared of Jake Paul, you're scared of Jake Paul. I'm sure that had a huge mental and psychological effect on Tommy and his family, but they got the job done. Congrats to them. And I'm sure Jake Paul will be back. We haven't seen the last of him. With that said, thank you guys for listening. I love you guys. I'm out. Peace.